Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest yourself today. As the name says, we're business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaching and consultants and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses and the do-it-yourselfers like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and many of you, like me, are all of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we can help you at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on outlets such as iTunes. There are over 240 episodes available for your immediate perusal covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. When you subscribe, you'll get fresh content fed to your iTunes every Tuesday, in addition to immediate access to those 240-plus episodes. Today, we're going to get to the heart of what is important to so many business creators, so many startups, so many small to medium-sized businesses, which is cash flow. I remember back when I was an MBA student at Duquesne University, and one of my professors asked the question, what is the key purpose of a business? And I rose my hand, and he said, well, the key purpose is to make money. And he tried to tell me that that was the dumbest thing he had ever heard. It was like saying that humans live to breathe. Well, I beg to differ because without cash flow, without having money coming into the business, you don't have the security of knowing that everything's covered so that you can be fully innovative, fully creative, and be in a place of service. It's much easier to serve from an overflowing cup than it is to give away your last dime. And as I like to say sometimes, you know, I'd rather cry behind the seat of a Corvette than on the back of a bicycle. That's just me. So what we're going to deal with is cash flow. Very important to business creators. And today's topic is the cash flow cure, how to make more money in the next 12 to 18 months. And to share with us today, we have one of the premier experts in this area, Monica Shaw. Let me just tell you about Monica. She's a seven-figure business coach who helps entrepreneurs build businesses that support their ideal lifestyles. After receiving her MBA from the Kellogg School of Management and working in marketing, excuse me, marketing for L'Oreal Paris, Monica left corporate to start her first company and then her second company known as Revenue Breakthrough. Today, she takes her clients step-by-step through building, growing, and expanding their businesses. She combines her business acumen with her intuition and healing abilities to help her clients get unstuck, eliminate self-sabotage, and move through fear. She's the author of Getting Rich, You're Doing It Backwards, and Pause, 52 Questions that Lead to More Money and Time. I personally know several people who have taken the Revenue Breakthrough Program or have attended one of Monica's events, and I can definitely attest to her knowledge and expertise in this area and how seeing people implement some of the things that she's going to share with you today have positively impact their cash flow and their businesses. So it's my great honor to bring Monica on today. Come on in. The weather's fine. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. And I have to say that I laughed out loud to your bicycle Corvette analogy. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Great. So I just read off your very impressive uh, biography, which tells us something of your experience. 
So what I like to do with our guests before we get into the main topic of the conversation typically is tell us a little bit more about your personal journey that brought you to the point of your intersection of brilliance and passion. Through your bio, you've partially conveyed that, but what I'd like to ask at this point is, you know, what is it that drives you to do this? Like, what about this caused you to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to spend another day on Revenue Breakthrough? <laughs> it really stems from the fact that I went through everything that I teach other people. Um, so when I started my business, uh, my first company back in the day, um, it was within about 12 months of being out and starting my business, I was $25,000 in debt. And it was the thing that was hard about it was not just the debt because I, I think leverage, I think debt is leverage and I kind of knew, I knew that then and I knew that you had to spend money to make money. But it wasn't I was like not making a dent in it at all. And my confidence was getting crushed by the minute. Um, here I was this person who had had an MBA, had worked at L'Oreal, I considered I had a certain identity around success and now I couldn't figure out how to pay all my bills from my own business and it was it was devastating. And I Really, when I looked into it, I had this moment where I was doing everything I possibly could to make money. I was selling stuff on eBay. I was walking dogs. I was cat sitting. I was renting my apartment out on Airbnb. This was right when Airbnb had just come out. And there was a particular moment where I had rented my apartment out for five days. And I came, I, I was getting on the train to come home, and I had three bags on one shoulder and three bags on the other shoulder and a bag across my chest and then a roller bag that I was carrying with all my stuff in it. And I was wow. walking up the subway stairs. <laughs> yeah. And the New Yorkers <laughs> were running by me, like knocking bags off because they're always so patient and kind. And yeah. uh, then I got to the top of the stairs, and I looked to the left, and the escalator was closed. And I looked to the right, and the elevator was broken down. So then I looked in front of me, and there were four more flights of stairs before I got to street level. And it was at that moment that I got really tired, and I just sat down. And, yes, I did actually sit down on the New York subway floor. Like, you know you've hit rock bottom when uh, you sit down on a New York subway floor. And I just started crying. And I got really clear that I had to figure out how I was going to make money from my business because there's a method to making money, and I didn't know what it was then. And I got really clear that if I didn't figure it out, I was going to go back and get a job, and I really didn't want to do that. And so I spent the next uh, 15 months like hiring business coaches and marketing experts. And what I really got clear on is that there's a lot of tactics out there but not a lot around how you put the fundamental pieces together to make money in your business. And part of the problem is that most of us don't even like to look at our numbers at all. Like we don't, we don't like money. We have issues around that. And I really, you know, once I got clear on all of that, I created um, my revenue breakthrough method for generating money. It's a five-step process and I followed it. And I was able to pay off that $25,000 in debt within 12 months. I put 12000 in the bank within 18 months, and then I doubled my revenue every year. 
And then in 2013, we crossed seven figures. So we've been a growing company ever since. And I think the reason I do what I do now is because I meet so many entrepreneurs every day who are struggling with the same pieces uh, around, well, two main pieces. The one main piece is that they're not making enough money um, at all, and and they and there's such shame and guilt around this, and it's such a hidden piece. Like, it's kind of cool to be an entrepreneur now, but what people aren't telling you is that they're spending all their money, and then they don't have any, any left, or it's going on a credit card. And then the second major problem is people are making money, uh, which is great, but then they're not able – to, they're afraid of it almost, like they can't keep it and they're not tracking it. So they, they have this constant fear of money regardless of how much they're making. And that's just a, a fear that kind of runs through our society. And, and so when I think about why I do what I do today, it's to really help people resolve those situations because once you can stop being afraid of money and you can improve your relationship with it, it opens a whole other world of confidence and happiness and security um, even love, uh, because money and love are in the same chakra, they're the same vibrational energy, um, that just wasn't in existence when you're constantly worried about money. Yeah. You know, um, inside my own book, Groundhog is a, excuse me, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, uh, we delve into the question of whether greed is good, going back to the famous phrase from the movie Wall Street uttered by Gordon Gecko at the stockholders meeting. And he never actually said greed is good. What he said is greed, for lack of a better word, is good. And if you read the entire speech, you can get the transcript of it. It's in my book. It covers these things, love for life, love for achievement. And in some ways, it is the same thing because when we experience uh, the power of money and the power of wealth, that does become a form of love. I'm reminded myself, Monica, of this was maybe 10 years ago. There was this woman I knew, and uh, her passion was to uh, open – animal shelters because she wanted to fight for the rights of animals in need of forever homes. She was also a very gifted, talented artist who had won a number of different shows, and she had the opportunity to make a lot of money with her talent. And I suggested that maybe she should try that, and she said, well, no, I, uh, my goal is to be a starving artist. And there was a bit of a money thing there I could sense. And I made this suggestion to her, which didn't go over well for her, and there's really not much I can say about that at this time, which is, okay, so if you want to be a starving artist, and at the same time you have this skill that would enable you to fulfill your altruistic passion of helping animals in need, uh, why not use your art to make a boatload of money, give it all to animal rescue, and don't eat? I was being slightly flipped there to make a point, but think about the power of money and what it could have done in that situation to help so many animals in need. But the person was not in a place where they were ready to embrace that. Now, let me just ask you, since this is your area of expertise, why do you think she might have repelled such a, such a message? So, so that's, such a, that's such a great story because she has something um, that we all have, which are money voices that live in our head. And the money voices that live in your head come from experiences you've had um, growing up. So between the ages of zero to seven, everything that you hear about money, everything that you see about money, and everything that you've experienced about money lodges these sort of experiences in your mind, and then you have these voices that come up. And my guess is that one of her voices was, I can't. 
um, I can't truly serve the world and make money while I'm doing it. Probably another one was if, I, if I'm really serving for my deepest level, then I can't make money because money, you know, money would mean that I'm giving myself up or I'm uh, not doing things at the highest level that I can do them at. She may have also uh-huh. had voices around if I make money, then. Then what? Then, you know, and it may have come from her own personal history. If I make money, then I'll have tons of responsibilities. If I make money, then I won't have any time for myself or for my family because I'm just going to get so big. And all we all carry these voices. And um, often that's why the, that mentality kind of comes out is I'd rather be a starving artist. There's something lovely for her about being a starving artist where she doesn't have to face some aspect of money that is has been really deeply rooted for her. Yeah, and you know, one you know, part of my own journey has been you can call it money, or you can just call it the level of success. Um, I've noticed that when I'm right on the verge of taking an action or having something happen that's going to move my business to a higher level, that's going to result in more revenue, more profits, and more ability to serve, I tend to go through this pattern myself where I'll basically sleep off, sleep it off for a day. Like, isn't like physically lay down and like not wake up for the entire day. And I've come to recognize that as being a sign that something big is about to happen. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one before we get into the main content of what we're yeah. going to cover today, because I've been trying to figure this one out for about 15 years now. So my first question to you is, does this help you or does it hurt you? Because sometimes we need to sleep it off in order to deal with stress. And it's, right. our, it's our body's way of relaxing. I do, find, I do find myself much more focused and, ability to t- and able to take it on uh, once I go through that process. Uh, at the same time, it does set me back a little bit because it takes away from some of the time I had allocated to that. So I guess yeah. I can say the answer is both, depending on which way you look at it. Yeah, so... Um, a couple things then that might be going on for you is there might be a voice around um, some because what's happening is your body's relaxing almost like it's like preparing for a race and you know it's like the yeah. calm before the storm. So yeah. um, so it, there might be a voice for you around uh, when I have success I have to go really fast work really hard um, or move a lot like you know expend a lot of energy. And I want to make sure that I, you know, I don't really like doing that. And it, and it's not, so often the voices are around extremes. Like, not so much, you know, I, I think you're probably fine with working harder, going faster, but the voice in your head is probably thinking, you're gonna go so fast that you'll never rest again. And so it's almost causing you to put obstacles up, which in your case is sleep, um, or, or fatigue, so that you rest because there's a fear and for, and usually that fear comes from something that you've seen in your life. Like, do you, did you watch your mom and dad work really hard um, for their stuff? Was this a pattern? Uh, that is very true. Uh, now that you mention it, I do remember there being a lot of struggle around money in my childhood. Not that we were necessarily yeah. poor or anything, but it seemed like the idea of work was equated with something that was a struggle to overcome rather than yeah. an opportunity to expand. Absolutely. So there's probably a voice that says, 
uh, in order for me to make a lot of money. Or and it's not even a lot for you. It sounds like it's something more like in order for me to have like a, an opportunity, like to to accept an invitation where a lot of money could happen, I have to struggle and I'm going to have to work hard. And so, in the, so the body immediately goes into resistance. Um, and the way that you handle resistance um, is by, you know, for you, for a lot of us, the way we handle resistance is escaping. Um, and we all have different escape mechanisms. Mine is television. Um, and so right. yours might be sleep. <laughs> um, and, yeah. um, and so um, it immediately goes into an escape mechanism. So, it, so what you may want to look at is readjusting that voice to say, when I have opportunity and invitation for something big, I choose how much I want to work. It is my choice how much, um, you know, when I want to start and when I want to stop, and it is within my control. It's not like this, you know, the gun goes off and I have to run and I can't stop. Right. That's very interesting, and thank you. Um, yeah, it's um, it's common, actually, and that's one of the reasons – I mean, people self-sabotage all the time before big things in their life, but a lot of it has to do with what's the fear underneath it of what's going to happen next. And that's different for everybody, but it's a great place to start is to say, okay, you know, uh, things like escape, escape in whatever form is a form of resistance. So if it's eating or watching TV or going out with friends or playing on Facebook, like whatever the escape is, and then to look at what's the fear underneath the resistance that's causing me to have to escape instead of facing it head on. That makes me wonder if that uh, has a lot to do with procrastination in general when you think about it. Uh, oftentimes yeah. I see folks who procrastinate on things that uh, would, would mean that they would end up making money because it involves meeting a deadline, doing a great job on a project or something like that, but they bring them, they can't really bring themselves to do it until the deadline is like, beating them over the head. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot, I mean, when I work with clients on procrastination, 90% of it is an, un, it's a fear, right? So, so it starts with resistance of some sort and looking at the behavior and what you're doing when you're resisting and then looking at the fear underneath it. And for me, one of the, you know, I was just thinking about what you're saying because just before uh, this call, I was working on some emails for a launch. Now, the launch doesn't start um, for a couple of weeks, so I have plenty of time to do it. And I really, yeah. you know, and I really multiple times would have pushed the meeting off. But in but in order to get myself to not procrastinate, <laughs> I actually did yeah. a meeting today with my copywriter on my team and and the rest of my team, so that we so that somebody else could hold me could hold me accountable and sort of do the work. And I think. You know, we all, as as entrepreneurs, we deal with it every day. You know, what are your fears? And, and left unchecked, you know, they will absolutely have you do everything last minute. <laughs> um, right. And, That's and, very and true. And then sort of, and then like be in denial about it. Like, you know, very much like, oh, I didn't have time when you actually did. I think a great part of it is having team members and mentors to really keep you out of that pattern. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, you know, we have we really have to get into the main, the main part of our interview here, but just uh, you know, it's worth mentioning that I have a client who pays me to just sit there on Skype while he writes. I'm not kidding. I, my job is just to sit there and and be on Skype while he writes. I, I get paid to do that, and he has told me that having another person right there 
gives him the energy because now he has to show it to another person. So every so often he'll say, take a look at this, or what do you think of this, or, or could you refresh and look at what I did on the screen, or something like that. And it's, it's where he does his best work. So, I mean, sometimes you work with what you have. Now, we've covered a lot of reasons why entrepreneurs may struggle with money. We've alluded to a thing called a money story, which we'll get to in a moment. But are there, is there anything else out there that might be causing entrepreneurs to struggle when it comes to money and cash flow? Um, the first piece of it is this fear um, around looking at money based on your money, um, what's going on in your head and your money experiences. Um, and then the second piece, which we can talk about as well, as, um, as we move through our time together is, is a lot of entrepreneurs just, they don't know what to look at in terms of what's making them money. What numbers should they be looking at? What activities are they doing? Um, there's, there is a method to making money. In a lot of cases, though, because we've, we've all been so afraid to look at our numbers to begin with, we don't actually look at what that method is and, we don't know, and it becomes sort of a lucky thing, like, ooh, I had a great month, and you don't know exactly how to where to, to attribute that from and also how to repeat it. Right, 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 right. So now let's look at uh, something else we wanted to bring up, which is a money type. What, now, what is a money type, and what does that have to do with this whole thing about cash flow and bringing more money in uh, within the next uh, near period of time? So – this is an important piece because it's a great way to identify what your relationship with money is and what your money behaviors are. And uh -huh. um, it's, once you understand what your money type is, you can identify what behaviors are you doing that are great and what behaviors are you doing that are holding you back. So there are four different money types. The first one is an avoider. And if you're an avoider, it means that you avoid opening up the mail, you avoid your bills, you avoid looking at your bank accounts, you avoid um, – it can be that you don't send invoices out to clients on time, um, and when you do, you kind of feel bad about that. Uh, it could be avoiding looking at things that are working and not working in your business, so your marketing numbers, perhaps your sales numbers. And as an avoider – a lot of my avoiders say to me, but Monica, you know, I don't, I don't need to look at all those things because I'm really good at making money and I'm really good at manifesting everything that I want. And a lot of the reason why avoiders don't look at their numbers is because they're afraid, right, of their, of what the numbers will say and it causes guilt and judgment and shame. So, um, one of the reasons that what happens though when you're a avoider is that you end up working twice as much as you need to be and worrying twice as much because you don't understand the relationship between how many hours of work lead to a certain amount of cash flow. So, therefore, if your mom comes to town and she's like, can you meet me at 4 o'clock, you as an avoider don't really know if you can stop working <laughs> because you have no idea what tasks you need to do or how much is in the bank account or what your goals were for that week or if you've accomplished them or surpassed them. And so it's, even if you say yes to her, it always feels like you're in double mind when you're with her and you're constantly uh -huh. worrying about whether you should be back at work or not. Um, and this, and the other thing to know is that a lot of avoiders are really powerful manifestors. You're used to just visualizing things and then creating them. And the beauty of looking at your numbers 
not only will support you to be able to take time off, know exactly what to do when you're um, when you're working, have really clear goals, but it will also support your manifestations. Like it'll make that power even stronger. Yeah, you know, uh, I think sometimes people misunderstand the meaning of manifestation. Uh, they'll either believe it to ridiculous extent, like I will sit on my couch in the lotus position and open my window and extend my arms and money will flow onto me, or they'll just dismiss it completely out of hand like there's no power to it. And one of the most extreme examples I've seen of it is um, this was 10 years ago when I used to own a web development company, and uh, we had this one client who was referred to us who gave us a bunch of copy for something she wanted to launch for the life of me. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> and uh, and uh, she gave us the documents that we needed. It's like, wow, a client that actually comes prepared with the content. There's a rarity. And then <laughs> uh, getting ready to celebrate the fact that and, and anybody who's ever done web development knows that the biggest struggle was actually getting the content. That's why websites were supposed to go live in six weeks take nine months. Uh, but uh, before I even had a chance to say, wow, this, you gave us copy, she said, and, 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 and before you say anything, uh, I've given this to other people before, and they've said that they want to make changes to it. You cannot change a word because uh, I ran this copy by five of my friends, and they all think it's great, and as I was writing it, a lightning beam came from the heavens and went through my arm and guided my pen on the paper. So I know that this is created by the heavens, and no mere mortal can do anything with it. <laughs> wow. Well, that's interesting. Was it good copy? <laughs> on a scale, from what I remember, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd probably give it about an 8 or so. The point is, before I even had a chance to see what I had on my hands, they preempted with this statement of nothing about it could be changed, not even the position of a comma because some divine force had written the copy by sending an energy beam through them and guiding their fingers. Uh. <laughs> I know. It's true. I mean, I think people get very involved. I, I, I think there's just extremes. You know, when I think about manifestation, when I use that word, um, I believe that we, are, we co-create, right, with, um, yeah. with a universal force and, and an energy. And um, I do think that there's quite a few people – who are depending too much on the universe to do the work. I, in fact, think it works. It goes the other way around, which if there is a God or creator or the universe or whatever you like to think about, that, that he or she is looking down and they're saying, oh, I noticed Monica got off the couch today and did seven things that she was terrified of. Let me go ahead and send her some ease and some grace. But it doesn't work the other yep. way around. Like if he or she is looking down and I'm sitting on the couch and grossed in Netflix, and there are things that I could be facing, um, you know, that they're going to move on to the person that's more willing and more, more worthy of their bet. <laughs> um, and so I always say to my clients, you know, do what you need to do to make yourself worthy of the higher power betting on you, putting their money, their grace, their energy on you. And I find that yep. when you do that, you get more of the, of the sort of opportunities and the flow that we all love to have. Yeah, one yeah one way of saying that is the Lord helps those who help themselves. Another is to look yeah. at the analogy of the person broken down in their car along the side of the road. If you're just standing there holding your hand up like, oh, woe is me, please help me, uh, cars are just going to drive right by. 
However, if they see you down there trying to change the tire, if they see that you have the hood up, you're trying to figure it out, or if the car is in the way and you're actually trying to push the car to the side of the road, that dramatically increases the chance that somebody's going to pull over to try and help you because they see that you are willing to help yourself. So true. Yeah. So, so uh, earlier, yeah. Yeah, yeah, earlier, Monica, you alluded to something called a money story. And I, I think this yeah. put a bookmark on it, very important. So what is the money yeah. story? Just define it for us. And how does it affect do you? Do you, do we want to hear the other types before we go into story? Because they connect. Oh, I, oh, I didn't know there were more types. I thought we were done. Go yeah. right ahead. Back to the, back to the yeah. money types. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, um, so the, the first type is the avoider. And I, I only want to put a, um, make sure we hit them because I think people listening will want to know what category they live in because some of you are not avoiders. The second type is savers. So, um, you know, you're a saver if you'd rather save your money than do just about anything else. So people who yeah. are savers looking at apps like Mint and your bank are like sports for you. Like that is as fun as anything else. Um, you know you're a saver if you have a tendency to uh, to work really hard just so that you can save more money. Now, the problem with being a saver is that at times you can cut off opportunity because of your need to save and you can cut off help and support for yourself. So, for example, I had a client who came to one of my masterminds and another client in the room, she'd been suffering from back pain for months and another client in the room said, hey, I have this doctor that can support you, but she doesn't take insurance. And my, immediately my client was like, well, then I can't do it. And I looked at her and I said, you know, you've, you've got the funds to be able to go. You know, that's what we've been building your business for so you can take better care of yourself. And she was like, no, 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 I can't. And, um, and that's what's interesting about savers is that you're holding so tightly to this goal of saving money that you're missing opportunities for you to have more joy in your life. And one of the things to notice if you're a saver is, Often, and this is not everybody, but if you're a saver, most often you were the favorite in your family or you were the oldest or you were the only sane person in your family. And therefore, your savings account is how you gained approval um, and how you were able to stay sort of at the top um, of where you sat. And I just want you to ask yourself, if you're a saver now, who, who are you trying to get the approval from now? And do you still need to, or is it time for you to experience more joy, to let go, to experience more flow? Because once you let go of the money, it's much more likely to come back to you, um, as long as you do it in a way that is in integrity with who you are. And then the third type, um, uh, after savers, is spenders. Now, whenever I'm in front of a group of room, a group of people, and I mention the word spender, literally people start self-identifying. Like they start jumping up and down or putting their hands up because spenders are total hedonists. They love to spend money. They love to play. They love to take care of people. They're always picking up the bills at dinner or at the bar or um, at a show. They often they love they love the joys of life. Now, the problem with being a spender is that you also have credit card bills that you can't pay off. And then one of the deeper issues that comes with being a spender is that you're often spending money for reasons other than that you need it. So it could be because you're unhappy or because you're empty or because you're disappointed or because you're lonely and you're trying to throw money at 
one of these deeper problems. So something to look at if you're a sender is why am I really buying this? Is there something deeper that I need to look at here? And we all have some version of sender for some category. You know, one of my things that I know that I used to do a lot of was when I experienced a disappointment in my business, and this still comes up, I just catch it more often, I would go out and buy, like, books and programs and everything I could possibly do to, to like, to learn, right, to dull the pain of the disappointment of, in my business. And it was too much. Like, I wasn't going to go through them all and do them all. It was just my way of trying to, to not feel the disappointment. Uh, so ask yourself, you know, how am I running away from my emotions with my spending? I have another client that um, when I first met her, she is a stager in New York, and she's been doing it for, like, 15 years when I first met her, she said, you know, one of my big issues is that I go shopping and I go in these sprees. And I felt like I have, she's like, I don't like I have tons of money, but I can do it. And I said, well, what's really eating at you? And she said, I just don't have any time. And for her, she was doing all the work of every staging. And she didn't have any freedom. And so her way of gaining that was by, like, by going out and shopping for random things that she didn't really even need. And so we really, when we solved the root problem, and we actually got her team to start doing the stagings. And she actually has only been um, on 10% of the staging since January. Um, and she uh, is, I asked her about these shopping sprees, and she's like, oh, my gosh, like, I, I haven't been on them in months. So uh, a lot of this is, is looking at what is, what's the deeper emptiness that you're feeling, what's the deeper desire that you just haven't gotten to yet. And then the final type is a martyr. Um, and a lot of people are martyrs, especially if you're struggling with money. You know you're a martyr if you constantly undercut your prices, if you barter, if you take your prices down, if you haven't raised your prices in years, or if you're constantly doing things for free in your business. Right. Uh, and, and part of that is that, and you know, the, the woman that you spoke about earlier, she's a great example of a martyr. Uh, because there's real deep belief if you're a murderer that you have to give everything away for free, that you can't charge your worth, that nobody's going to buy. Um, little simple beliefs like you can't be spiritual and make a lot of money or you can't really be a good person and make a lot of money. And so, therefore, there's a tendency to constantly undervalue yourself. And what can happen if you're a martyr and you do that for a long time is that you end up just burning out. Because you're giving, 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 and you're not receiving um, a lot in your, you know, in your business or in your life. Yeah, you know, it's a you know, very interesting. Oh, God, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just yeah, to sorry. go right ahead. The, the thing about, I was just going to say, a lot of people say, Monica, can I be more than one type? And my answer is yes. You can be a combination. And understand that there's no positive or negative in these. So, like, for example, I'm an avoider, and I... I have built systems, you know, like team and, and a bookkeeper and an accountant and a lawyer that keep me real, right, about what, what I need to be looking at. Um, and they know that I have an avoiding tendency. So the real key is, and, and, you know, my mentor is a spender, and she makes, you know, millions of dollars per year. So she's really dealt with her spending. <laughs> she's generating right. the revenue to be able to allow that habit. Um, and not worry about it. So it's it's just about looking at how is it 
how's it affecting you? Is it affecting you, you negatively right now? And if it is, then really looking at what am I going to do about this and understanding that your money type um, in a lot of ways is influencing how you're running your business. Like if you're an avoider, you're avoiding a lot of the most important things in your business. If you're a martyr, you're taking prices down left and right when you should be learning how to sell things at a higher price. So it's the behaviors in your business are often um, highlighted by what type you are. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I just, um, you know, when I think about uh, martyrs, what immediately came to mind is I've seen this with so many, especially service providers, is they'll speak with somebody who's a prospect, and then the prospect will disappear off their radar screen. They won't, uh, you know, they won't respond to follow-ups or anything like that. And then a year later, this prospect comes back to them and says, you know, you know, I ended up spending uh, $50,000 with your competitor, and I got absolutely nothing for it. So now I need you. And not only that, but I can't afford the 7500 you were going to charge me before. So I was wondering if I could get a discount on that. And what they're literally saying is, I blew you off to get ripped off by your competitor, and now I want you to pay for what they did to me. And what saddens me is there are some service providers that will attempt to accommodate that. Uh, the smarter ones I see will say, well, actually, that was 7500 a year ago. Now it's 20000 Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. And it's, and it's because ultimately um, if you're always making decisions when you're looking at the prices, you're being run by your money type. You know, that money yeah. voice is saying, you have to save, you have to save, you can't say yes. Right, right, right. You know, we have a, you know, we had another thing, too, um, and this also shows up in the in the Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy book. Uh, one of the taglines my company um, has used it many times in its trajectory is uh, that we help you spend less time editing and maintaining your website, more time educating and monetizing. Where this comes from is it was sort of a blurt out. Years ago, I had this one client who every single week, she would completely rewrite all of her long-form sales letters, of which she had seven, because she'd show them to people, and instead of asking people to make an investment, she'd say, what do you think? I welcome your critique. And, of course, all the armchair quarterbacks would give her all their various feedback, and she'd immediately feel compelled to, re- to respond to it because that's what the audience said. And she'd wonder why her bills with us were so high, but then she wasn't making any money. And it would go back and forth. And then she'd say, well, I'm I'm leaving you. I found somebody else who's going to do this for less. Then somebody else for less would leave her high and dry. Then she'd come back to us. You you get where this is going? And after about the third time this happened, I said, you know, people might actually want to do business with you if you'd spend less time editing your website and more time promoting it. Yeah. <laughs> and when, the more I hear you, the more I hear you speak, Monica, the more I think that she was really coming from a place of money issues. Because the end of her story was she ended up getting a full time job. The whole thing just kind of fizzled and went away. But it seemed like she, you know, this as I as I listened to you, she was rewriting all these sales letters every week based on feedback, and she was constantly going out, basically asking the world to beat up her her marketing rather than saying, hey, I have this great thing. Would you consider investing in it? Would you consider buying it? Or would you consider joining it? Because there was something stopping her from being at the place where somebody she would actually be in a place to accept if somebody said, yes, I like what you're offering. Here's some money. I would like that for myself. Absolutely. I mean, she she had a very strong money story, which is, you know, the next piece around this, which is yes. that, 
um, which is that you know, between the, as I sort of alluded to before, between the ages of zero to seven, you're like a sponge. And what that means is that everything that you see, you hear, and you experience goes into your brain, and you don't question it. And all of those things become your habits, your beliefs, and your behaviors. Um, your habits, your beliefs, and your attitudes, and, and your thought processes, and they, that then translates to your behaviors. And so, what you know, with something like that, um, your what you want to think about if you're trying to figure out your for someone like that, she probably well, first of all, um, she probably didn't understand exactly how to promote her business and how to put it out there. But what what is underlying that? was a fear of um, putting of actually stepping outside into the real world um, and being seen and heard. And my guess is that there was a story there around if I'm really seen and heard, then something bad will happen to me. Um, and a lot of us carry that, especially if you are somebody who's been in a spiritual world or a healer or if you have actually had it happen in life, like you were schooled in a system where you stood in front of the room and you got belittled in some way, um, that leads us yeah. to sort of do all these behaviors where we hide and, and then it ends up not working for our business. And so a way um, to kind of think through this is to ask yourself the question, what did I, these questions, what did I see with money, when I was growing up, what did I hear about money? How did people talk about it? How did my mom and dad talk about it? How did my family talk about it? And what experiences did I have as a youngster growing up when it came to money? And really take a moment and write those things down because almost everything that you're doing in your business can be attributed to a money story or a money experience that you that you had, and then you created a rule. You created a standard by which you're living off of it, and it's affecting what you're doing and what you're not doing. Yeah, and for everybody listening, uh, the title of this uh, interview, of course, is The Cash Flow Cure, How to Spend More Money in the Next 12 Days, or Make More Money in the Next 12 to 18 Months, so I guess you can spend it. Um, the uh, yeah. What we're doing right now is we're actually – curing a lot of the issues that are holding you back from going out and getting the cash flow. For those of you who are waiting for the step one, step two, step three, we have about 20 minutes left, and we'll get to some of that very, yeah. very shortly in just Absolutely. a minute or two. But I just wanted everybody to understand the reason why you've been listening to these stories and you've been hearing Monica share about the money types and the money stories is we're actually curing the illness in your cash flow right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like um, what we're doing right now is, it's a little bit like when you're trying to go on a diet or you're trying to lose weight and you know what you're supposed to be eating. Like you know what you're supposed to be eating when you know what you're not supposed to be eating. And yet every right. day at 4 o'clock when your energy drops, the cookies, they call your name and then you eat them. And yet there's a simple process and it's the same for money. You know you're supposed to send your invoices out on time or that you should raise your prices or that you want to look at your revenue numbers or that next year you want to know what your numbers are before tax season comes around or you want to look at the reports that your bookkeeper is sending you. You know the actions. It's just that you're not doing them. And a lot of the reasons that you're not doing them is because of the stories um, about numbers about what will happen and, and these are the stories and once you can start to recognize these stories and bring them to the light they get burned off by the light and then you start to be able to move through them to take some real actions which we're 
we can talk about that. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So once uh, you've got a clearing, that's what I call it, space, where you've let go of some of the fear around your numbers, you want to look at the, the very first thing every entrepreneur should be doing, which is revenue-generating activities. So I call them RGAs for short, but every business owner. And really what this comes down to is that for an untrained business owner, and especially somebody who's struggling with money, 80% of what they're doing are activities that don't generate money. So the story that we talked about before where the woman who was writing her website copy, that is a perfect example of a non-revenue generating activity. Now, websites make money. Great copy makes money. But when you spend three months writing the copy on your website, the entire time that you are writing, that activity isn't making you money. Uh, what makes you money is when you put yourself out in front of people. So non-revenue generating activities are things like spending too much time on Facebook, taking five hours to write a blog post, uh, watching videos so that you can find them to show to your clients, uh, working with a client to switch her credit card in and out four different times, scheduling things on your calendar, organizing your office, entering your business cards, entering your numbers, yeah. making file folders. Like, And yet some of you might be thinking, but Monica, those are like activities that I have to do. And my response would be, yeah, maybe when you first start your business, you have to do those like just to get things up and running. But then you've really got to shift your focus to the revenue generating activities. And those are the activities uh, that the number one revenue generating activity is a sales conversation. And a sales conversation is defined as a conversation where you ask for money. It's going to be different for every different business model out there, whether it's to a corporate organization or whether it's to an individual or whether it's to a distributor. It's going to be different based on what model of business that you have. But it remains true that if you are not having sales conversations, you are not making money. If you are not asking right. for money, you are not making money. And so the, the revenue-generating activities, I actually talk about nine different kinds of positioning activities, are activities that position you as an expert such that people want to set up conversations with you and then have – and then from those conversations, you can then ask them for money. So the top three are, are speaking, doing speaking events. The second one is doing sponsorships where you're um, – setting out a table or you're speaking on a stage in front of your target market. And the third um, I, that I think are the, is the most common is doing webinars. And I say that with a caveat. Now, podcasts like this is also on that list. I think they're amazing. Um, but yep. ultimately, if you're not doing – if you're not planning revenue-generating activities into every single week, then you're, not, then you're not getting sales conversations. And if you're not getting sales conversations, then you're not making money. Um, and that's really, I recommend that everybody do three revenue generating activities before noon every single day. Uh, and for some of you, it's going to look like doing your marketing so that you can get the sales conversations. For some of you who are a little farther along, it's going to look like reach out to people to set up sales conversations. And for some of you, it's going to look like doing the sales conversations. So it, it just really depends on where you are, what level you're playing went on but really putting your time and attention on revenue-generating activities. If you just focus on those for the next 90 days, you will see a remarkable shift in your cash flow. 
Yeah, you know, and uh, what I also share is the uh, use of minimalism in your business to maximize your results. One example of this is uh, one thing that folks who know me know never to ever, 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 ever ask is when can we schedule a time to talk? You do not ask me that question because – I literally have an entire website up, the entire purpose of which is to facilitate getting onto my calendar, and it even allows you to type in what you want to speak to me about, which is helpful because I can just dive right in. I don't play phone tag. I don't go back and forth with 20 emails. This is one place where technology has come in. So if somebody who doesn't know that comes into the transom and asks that question, we may refer them to schedulewithadam.com. Now, the folks who are – close enough to me where their issues can become my issues, defined as consulting clients who pay me a bunch of money, uh, know that they have access to my Skype, and if they see my little green dot lit up, they can type these three little magic words, got a sec. If I have one, I'll give it to them. If not, I'll give it to them as soon as I have it. Uh, but you see that I've used technology and common sense to eliminate some of those things that I see a lot of folks get hung up on is, well, let's go through, let's go through the uh, Roberts Rules of, uh, of Parliamentary Procedure and uh, the Advanced Diplomatic Code just to get somebody on the phone with you. For goodness sake, no. Uh, either pick Absolutely. up the phone and call them. I mean, like, like, let's say I was reaching out to you, Monica, completely out of the blue, like I wanted to contact you. I would have, there'd be two ways I'd go about it. One of which would be, depends on, depends on what I want with you. Um, let's say that I wanted to quote unquote pick your brain. The very first thing I would do is I would invite you to the Business Creators Radio Show. I'm not going to ask you to meet for coffee next time we're in the same town because that's a waste of my time and yours. However, if I'm able to get some brilliance from you and reward you by singing your praises to the skies and making sure that my audience is aware of you and takes the time to listen to you, I'm doing you a service in exchange for a little bit of information. So this whole thing about let's meet for coffee, not going to do that. Um, if I were to just want to reach out to you, discuss maybe a business opportunity or to make a connection of some sort, I would go through your assistant and say, how do I get on Monica's calendar? So I would be looking to avoid the whole, uh, Monica, when can we talk? Because I think that's silly. Uh, that's not a use of good, good use of your time or mine. Uh, so just that's just one example of where I see some folks on my end uh, do things that are activity rather than action especially when just by using common sense and technology, you can take scheduling out as one of those things entirely. Absolutely. And, in fact, a great way to really test yourself on this um, is to do a time journal. And I have my clients do this all the time, especially when they say, I don't have, you know, enough time. If you don't have enough time, there's two problems going on. You're either spending your energy doing things that aren't important or you're not delegating enough, period. And so it, I, to do a two-week time journal, you just take a piece of notebook paper and you write down everything that you're doing from you wake up to when you go to bed. And you do this for two weeks, two real weeks, obviously not a week that you're going on vacation. And then you look at right. it. And in 100% of the time, it's very obvious what you should be delegating and where you're wasting your time and energy. And it's not even – with my clients, it's not even so they can work harder – I mean, for me, most of the time, it's to get them to work less and delegate more or just delete more <laughs> um, and you yeah. know, use things like the technology app so that they're actually not overworking themselves. Things that, you know, people just get so used to tolerating 
a lifestyle that's less than what they want it to be, that they forget to, that they can actually work to optimize it. And, and uh, for just so in case people don't know, the apps that help you schedule appointments, one of them is called Time Trade, and then the other one is yep. called uh, another one's called Calendly, C-A-L-A-N-D-L-Y. There's a ton of them. Yeah. That's just two of them, and, and I don't have an opinion on what is good and what's not. But if you just type those into Google, you'll get you know different different options for them, and you, they're amazing. I remember when we used to have to go back and forth over email to pick a time, and I even back then yeah. I would have an assistant do it, um, somebody who would come in and call everybody for me because I knew the the time value of the the value of time, but still it's so much easier than it was then. <laughs> so yeah, very true. Very true. Now, in a few minutes, I know you have something for us as we wrap up here that's going to really give us a practical blueprint for how we do this whole thing of exercising one of the key strategies, which is simply speaking with people, reaching out, having the conversations you need to have with folks. So I want to save that for the gift you're going to share with us. But I do want to ask at least one more thing, um, one of which is is that, um, you know, you mentioned something called a slowdown solution. And I think I know what this is, and and if it is what I think it is, this is going to be so important when we talk about making more money in the next 18 months. So tell us about the slowdown solution. Yeah, well, there's two aspects of it. The first is the more active aspect, which is, um, look, is, you know, the first aspect of what I talked about is doing more, doing three revenue generating activities a day. Um, I tell my clients, making sure you're having at least three sales conversations a week. The second active part of this is making sure that you're looking at the right numbers in your business. So um, revenue tracking is a great way to do that. You just take a piece of notebook paper, you number it 1 through 31, and you put down how much revenue you generated each day. And you put a 60- or 90-day goal at the top of your piece of paper, and that's how you keep really focused on the revenue. But then the the next aspect of this is what I call the 10-minute pause. And that's that, you know, in life, we can kind of have the warrior mentality, but we can also have what I like to call the god or the goddess mentality. And the warrior mentality is all about going after things and, um, and, and focusing and disciplining and pushing. And it's amazing. And, I, and it works, right? I, I think it's important that we have the warrior mentality during the day when we're getting our work done so that we do the things even when we don't want to do them, we do them anyway. But then there's this sort of God or goddess mentality, and that mentality is that of receiving and of allowing things to happen and of putting um, things out to the universe so that the universe knows about them and having clarity around them, knowing that you're going to work for them, but first declaring them and, and making them known. And one of the things that's really helpful in this vein of the sort of slowing down to do that is pausing. Um, and what I do is I call it the 10-minute pause, and um, it's where you take uh, the first the first part of it is that you take five minutes to just breathe and to watch your breath and to slow down. And then what I the most common thing I have people do in the 10-minute pause is to write down everything that you're struggling with in your business, and then take each of those struggles and turn it into a question. So if your struggle is I don't have enough money, turn it into how can I make more money. And when you turn things into a question, they get they go into your brain, 
And your brain immediately starts to work to answer them. And it creates this, uh, you start to get the answers. So that's just one way of doing this. I, I created a whole book of 52 questions that lead to more money and time. It's called Pause. And in it, I have put a bunch of different questions. They're like mini little exercises like this that cause you to stop, take your deep breaths, and then allow the, and then answer a question, read a passage and answer a question, and allow the universe to give you some intuition, some deeper thought about how to, you know, how to get something that you really want in your life. And it's just about taking those quiet moments to really, um, to slow down and receive the answers so that you don't have to push so hard for them. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's all very, very important stuff. And, uh, and, you know, we are kind of right up here at the uh, top of the hour here, so I want to ask you a question, and then I want to turn it over to you because you have something for us here. Uh, tell us, Monica, one thing we can do right now to create the breakthrough in our revenue that leads to us uh, curing our cash flow and making more money in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, do the revenue tracking. If there's one thing, it would be take a sheet of notebook paper, number it 1 through 31, make your 60-day goal, and then track your revenue as it comes in and then focus on doing your three revenue-generating activities each day. Wow, that's really great. So if I decide I want to make $50,000 in the next 60 days, I literally write on a piece of paper 1 through 60, and every time I put money in there, it, it uh, goes towards the total. So I know at any given point how close I am to those $50,000. Well, you actually put in there 1 through 30. or It's the days of the oh, month. I, I apologize. So, yeah, so then – um, and then, so it, you put 50000 for, and you, know, and you put your deadline when it's 60 days from now, and then you say, okay, um, every day that I bring money in, I'm going to mark it, and if, and if I don't bring money in, I'm going to put a zero next to that day. So if it's the fifth of the month and I brought in $5,000, I put $5,000 next to the number five. If it's the tenth of the month and I bring in $3, I put $3 next to the number 10. And you add it up as you're tracking your revenue. Um, and you and you compare it. So if it's the middle of the month and you know you were gonna you wanted to generate fifty thousand over the next sixty days, that means you need to generate twenty five thousand this month. And if you've only generated four thousand, that means you need to go get more sales conversations. So it keeps you really clear about where you are in accordance with your goal. And it has you because what happens is people make goals all the time, but then they take their eyes off the goals because the cat gets sick or the or or the you know the roof caves in, or there's water leaking, and you end up taking care of something right. else instead of focusing it on the revenue. And this, you know, exactly. along with doing the revenue generating activities, this keeps you focused in on the most important aspect of your business, which is the revenue, uh, so that you can take more time off, or give more to the philanthropy, or create the lifestyle that you've been looking for. Oh, great, great, great. We're already at the top of the hour here, so I want to give you 30 seconds. You have a little present for us. Uh, tell us about it. Absolutely. So everybody always says to me, Monica, what are the other revenue-generating activities? Like, well, I need to know them so that I can schedule them in. And how often should I do them? So I've created a free gift for everybody. It's at revenuebreakthrough.com front slash marketing calendar, revenuebreakthrough.com front slash marketing calendar, it lists all of the revenue-generating activities that you can do to generate sales conversations. And then it tells you the frequency by which you should do them at. So um, what you need to be doing every week, every day, every week, every month, and every quarter. It's done for you, wow. so you can just print it out 
Um, there's also a blank version. So if you have a business that's a little bit different, you can fill in your own activities. But this is the thing that keeps you focused on creating a larger cash flow in your business and it makes things simple and easy. Great, great, absolutely. Well, uh, Monica Shaw of Revenue Breakthrough, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and quite an education. Awesome. I so enjoy it. Thank you. You bet. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please tune in. Check out our future and our previous episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.